0: If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Celisa Steele.
1: And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, Jeff talks with Dr. Brian McGowan, and I want to say a few more things about him in just a minute. But first, because Brian is going to be participating in learning technology design, I want to make sure that you are all aware of that event. It's coming up May 18th and 19th in Arlington, Virginia. This is a learning experience designed specifically for professionals in the business of continuing education and professional development. And the goal of the event is to help the folks that will come together there find new and better ways to engage learners and create lasting impact through the effective use of technology. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Brian is going to be part of that. We also have um, most of the program up at the event website ltd.leadinglearning.com. So I encourage you to check out uh, all those sessions and topics. We're going to have um, people addressing things like digital badges and micro learning. We'll also be getting into um, some some deeper sessions around things like instructional design and learning technology strategy. So I, We're really excited about the program that we've put together, and you can find out more about those sessions and the speaker facilitators behind them at ltd.leadinglearning.com. Now, Jeff, you had a chance to talk with Dr. Brian McGowan.
1: I did, and I was very excited uh, to talk with Brian, both because he, he is part of LTD, and also because, I mean, you know, out of anybody I know, he probably reflects... The, the spirit behind an event like learning technology and design. we, we talk about you know wanting to create a lasting impact through the effective use of technology. and I, I think that is really what Brian is all about. We talk specifically about the topic of, of flipped learning, which is uh, you know kind of like our, our, our last uh, episode around digital badges. it's one of those areas that organizations are, are really interested in but don't necessarily know how to go about how to make it a, a reality or they go about it in in such a a loose way that it doesn't really have the impact, it's really not uh, effective. Brian is one of those people who's just really focused on data and making sure you actually understand whether you're being effective and whether you're having an impact or not. And he's uh, applied that perspective to the concept of flipped learning. And flipped learning, of course, is the idea that you've got you know, some content, uh, some experiences that learners engage in before they ever get into a classroom situation. So it helps to kind of level the the, the playing field, level the, the knowledge field, so to speak, um, and 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 raise uh the, the quality of, of what's possible in the classroom situation. And he's you know one of the few people I, I've met who has actively implemented flipped learning with a number of organizations and has had a, a data driven strategy around that so that he knows you know, whether it's been effective or not, whether it's had any impact or not. So we dig into that in the into this podcast uh, episode. It's something he's also going to be talking about at Learning Technology Design. So if you're interested in flipped learning at all, coming and hearing Brian speak, you know, and you know if you're lucky, pulling him off to the side and, and picking his brain even a little bit more, fantastic opportunity. But uh, just in the context of this podcast, I think you're going to get some, some great perspectives on flipped learning.
0: Well, that sounds really interesting. And I know I've heard Brian talk a little bit about his experience with flipped learning and some of the data that he shared and so i know that this will be a great conversation so let's go take a listen to that
1: This is Jeff Cobb with the Leading Learning Podcast, and I am really happy today to be talking with Dr. Brian McGowan, and we're going to have a conversation primarily about flipped learning today, which is a hot topic out there and something that Brian is going to be talking about at the upcoming Learning Technology Design event that we'll be holding in Arlington. So Brian, first of all, I'm going to say welcome, and then I'm going to ask you to to tell folks who you are and, and what you do.
2: Sure. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Uh, Brian McGowan, as you mentioned. I'm the Chief Learning Officer at Archimedics. And for the better part of the last 15 years since leaving academia, I've been focusing on continuing education and uh, performance change in healthcare.
1: Well, great. And I've been tracking your work for quite a while. I can't remember exactly when we connected. It's been quite a while back. And, you know, we've it's one of those things where we shoot each other an email every once in a while and sort of tune into to what each other are doing. And at some point, I tuned into the fact that uh, you were really doing some some serious work a- around this concept of, of flipped learning, which, as I said, is you know kind of a hot topic uh, out there. Something a lot of people have been looking at and sort of scratching their head and saying, hmm, you know, what, what do we do with this? And you're somebody who, along with your clients, actually has been doing something with it. Uh, so I want to dig into that. And but maybe as a starting point, I'm I'm using that term flipped learning. Um, I'm going to make the assumption that most people listening to the podcast have at least heard the term, but um, it'd be good to put some some flesh around it, some definition around it. H- how do you define that that term, flipped
2: learning? Sure. So we're, we're trying to uh, standardize or level set the learning population to make it as homogeneous as possible so that we can use the uh, very expensive and very critical face-to-face time um as effectively as possible so that can be done in in literally thousands of ways Um, but we ultimately want to know when people are standing in front of us or seated in front of us in those face-to-face workshops that we're ready to start applying and digging in deeply so anything we can do prior to that face-to-face time to get um, all of those learners on an equal playing field um, and learn as much about those learners as possible before they walk into that workshop, the
1: better and so and, and you you know just indicated that could be thousands of ways, I, I, thousands of ways to do that i I think probably the the one folks think of most readily or that's been you know most popularized is is doing some sort of video ahead of time to convey some information, but it could be articles, it could be a live webinar um, you know any number of, uh, of things um, so w- what are some things that um you know that that you have done um, you know specific uh flipped learning type scenarios where you've you've given Uh, folks information knowledge learning experiences prior to bringing them together uh, in a classroom and you know that how well has that worked
2: it's it's worked really well when implemented well but let me let me state a bias up front that my my um, interest in flipped learning uh, is largely if not entirely based in my interest around data-driven learning Ah, okay and Right. So my my approach for the better part of the last decade has been to see what types of data we can generate from learners, from learning real data that accurately depicts who they are, what they know, what they do and where their challenges lie. And when I first started playing with the idea of a flipped classroom five or six years ago, um, I saw it as a blended sequential learning model that allowed us to learn something about the learners early on. So about the end um, in the in the follow-on interventions, I knew who Jeff was, I knew what Jeff knew, I knew what Jeff did, and I knew what Jeff's ba- uh, barriers were. And because, only because of the data that I generated from interacting or teaching or instructing him before, w- did I know enough about Jeff at the end that I could help him apply um, very practical things in very efficient ways. If it wasn't for the data, then um, I'm giving him some stuff to do, and then he's sitting in front of me or standing in front of me a month or two months later, and he may know a little bit more. He may be a little bit more prepared before he's in front of me, but I don't know anything about him. So the flipped model really has two critical components. You want to provide the learners with information that allows them to prepare, but you have to provide that information to the learners in a way that allows you as an educator to learn more and to prepare. And um, when I say there's literally thousands of ways to do it, I don't mean that there's thousands of effective ways to right. do it right i mean there's thousands of ways i've seen it done and you listed a few of them but just giving them some selected readings to do beforehand um does not meet my definition of a flipped classroom
1: interesting and and i think you know when i when we started this off um i said you know you were one of the few people i know who's really been serious about this and it is it is that data side uh, of things that um uh prompted that comment from me because you have taken great care um, in in the pre-experiences that you provided, as you said, to to make sure you understood the level that people were coming from initially and, and what kind of change you were actually creating with the learning experience because fundamentally learning is about change. And, you know, if you're the educator, you want to see that change. Now, I, I know um, one place specifically that uh, that you have done this work and you've written it up. And in fact, we'll, we'll make sure we link to uh, articles on it because you provide some of this data um, and you, you, you describe the experience. But with the um, American uh, Nurses Credentialing Center, uh, you've done some specific work with them uh, around uh, an annual gathering that they have. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what you did there, what kind of data came out of that, what, what you learned and what they learned from the experience?
2: Sure. So this This originates back in 2013. The first version of this was 2014, and subsequently we ran it again at a different meeting in 2015. So we have um, four, soon to be five, different experiences running these flipped classrooms. Um, They are often held as a pre-conference, before the annual meeting of some group, whether it's the ANCC or whether it's the Alliance for Continuing Education in Health Professions, um, at, at times they've been paid uh, a paid workshop. So I think I, I know one of the the goals, one of the the services you provide to your members is that you help them understand the opportunities and in, in both value and revenue for their association. so mm-hmm. We could, we could have that discussion. I think it's a, maybe a little bit off topic, but there have been times where it's been lucrative for the associations for sure. I'm not sure that's how I define success, but it may be for some of the listeners. Um, so what we did in each case was we uh, wrangled a number of subject matter experts, um, someplace between seven or nine of them. Uh, I helped serve as a general contractor and architect, and we built a curriculum of online activities. They were someplace between 8 and 12 minutes each in duration. Um, I I will disclose that each time we've run this, we've run this in in a specific proprietary e-learning platform um, that's been built to collect different types of data, but I, I don't necessarily think it takes away from uh, the rest of the story that we can tell about the experience. In essence, we had three or four occasions where more than 100 learners, about 120 learners who were going to be participating in a live workshop, had between four and five weeks of um, access to an online curriculum. The online curriculum were short videos. There were between 8 and 12 activities in this curriculum. And the learners had the um, ability to go and interact and and, uh, consume this content anytime over the four or five weeks leading up to that workshop. Um, We communicated, one of the first lessons we learned was that communicating frequently and reminding this audience of the structure. Don't forget, Jeff, that there's this series of activities with Dr. Mm -hmm. McGowan and Dr. Balmer. And um, maybe the next week, uh, join over 50% of your um, colleagues who are going to be on site in Las Vegas who have already begun participating in these activities. And then the next week, it was more than 75% of the folks who are going to be joining us next week have already consumed um, upwards of 80% of the content. And, and we learned from each occasion of the flipped classroom that the more more structure we provided over that four-week, five-week window when the pre-work was available, then we went from, I think, having about 50 to 60% of the participants uh, participate in the online series till the last time we ran this. We had upwards of 90% of the participants complete the full curriculum. So I knew when we walked in the room that 90 to 95% of the learners who were in front of me had completed the full curriculum, and I knew a lot more about each one of those learners and It was that operational excellence that we developed over the two or three years of doing this that ensured us that we had the opportunity as educators um, to have that level of comfort
1: and I think that that's an important point because I know you know a lot of people who are listening to this may be saying yeah, great idea, provide some content uh, upfront to kind of level set um, and make sure we're going to be able to get the most out of the classroom, but they'll never do it. You know, they're thinking I can give this to my learners, prospective learners, but well, A, you know, what happens in a lot of um, event type situations, uh, you know, where you're just coming to a conference, you don't even know who's going to show up in the room. So you really have no way to control that upfront interaction. So, you know, from an operational standpoint, you have to put into place a mechanism to be able to identify who's gonna be in the room, you know, I'm assuming. But then as you're saying, once you've done that, it sounds like A, you need to be persistent in the communication. And B, it also sounds like you used, you know, a little bit of a little bit of peer pressure there too. You know, others are doing this. It's that social proof thing. Um and we know they've been doing it and it's contributing to the quality of the experience you need to be contributing to. Um so is that is that persistence and and that kind of, you know, I guess social proof, peer pressure, are those the the two key components or are there, you know other other parts of uh, how you make sure that people are going to uh, be you know willing and, and commit to participate.
2: You know it's interesting the and and I don't think I can draw any causation from this. The first couple times we ran this, it was a pre conference workshop, um, and people were paying upwards of one hundred and fifty dollars to participate mm-hmm. in a five hour workshop. But the communication with the original. our our original stakeholders, our partners, the communication that they had to their members wasn't as strong, and we end up with 50 to 60% of folks doing the work. But it was pre-registrants. We knew who was going to be in the room. In fact, each time that we've run the flipped programs, um, it it was a registration process. We knew who was going to be in the room. Um, I've seen people try to run it where they're they're using the term flipped classroom. Mm Um, but imagine, imagine the time and energy that you're going to put in to not only create the content for that live meeting, but to create all of that content, and it has to be engaging, Mm-mm. it has to be um, demonstrative of the experience that you're going to have in the online setting, or people could show up in that online experience, see one or two of the videos, and say, I don't even need to go to that live meeting, or I don't want to go to that live meeting if this is the quality. Right, right. Right? So so you're you're opening yourself up as an educator to say, here's what we're going to do together, now come on this journey with me. and." So there is zero doubt in my mind, even before you start thinking about the data, just the structural Mm -hmm. um, pieces of a flipped classroom is going to require additional work from the educators, from the subject matter experts, and from the logistics team. And if you don't follow some of the best practices that we figured out, that we've published, and you do this extra work, and now you get to that live meeting and 51% or 49% of the folks in the room have not done any of the prep work. Now, who who are you obligated to serve in that room? The people who did the work and therefore want to jump into application and move to <clears throat> higher level thinking? Or the 50% of the people who didn't do the work but they paid? And now as an educator, you've not created homogeneity. You've not created a level playing ground. You've created a chasm.
1: Right, right now that's a very important point and um and I think you know you referenced earlier the sort of the, the money revenue question i mean the money revenue question is is tied into impact and value ultimately uh you know you you want to be doing things that um that improve the learner's condition and, and the condition of all learners um and i, I know in the uh the the a n c c um uh, scenario i mean you did come out with you know very concrete data that showed that, that that you had had an impact with what you were doing. And a lot of this is written up, and again, we'll, we'll link to um, the, the the paper you did on this because it's got a lot of the, the details around, you know, how you structured this, exactly what you did, the number of communications, how it turned out. But just, I mean, looking at some of the outcomes, and you may want to cite others, but you know, I'm, I'm reading, for example, that after completion of each video, so, you know, these nurses uh, viewed the videos that you provided, um, 55% of the learners stated that they were more confident with the topic or were ready to make changes. Changes in their practice, which I, I think that 's particularly powerful, and that was out of you know getting close to to four hundred participants so you you changed a lot of people there with that, and then you know you note that at the at the event itself seventy percent seventy six percent of the respondents claimed that by viewing the online series um, they were better prepared to engage with the symposium faculty and to be more active learners and, and most of them had viewed the series you knew that um, and they were more prepared as a result of it so that I mean that's the kind of just really powerful um, impact data uh, that you can get out of this and as you said, you know you know you're not creating a, a chasm you're actually leveling a playing field and upping the learning game significantly and I, I don't know if there's other data that came out of it that uh, you know struck you even. even even more than, than than those items. But, um, I mean, it sounds like end of the day, in this experience, and I know others you've had, you really have been able to, to move the dial by structuring this well and operationalizing it well.
2: The, the Thanks. The one additional data point that we learned in one of our earlier versions of the flipped classroom is that of the learners who engaged in the online series, and remember, they've got this four- to five-week window before they get Before they're traveling, before they're showing up in front of us in this flipped classroom, um, the learners who had participated in the video were twice as likely to have made a significant practice change prior to even getting to us. Wow. Right. So Jeff, in the last 30 days, um, relative to the content within this program, have you made any significant changes in your practice? And those learners who went through these short video series and now they're starting to prep and they're they're going back to their practices, they're going back to their offices, and they've already got this these ideas in their head about new ways of thinking and preparing for this live meeting. Mm-hmm. So they're in this they're, they're We're making the most of the availability bias, right? These are learners who, in the front of their mind, are almost for four or five m- weeks constantly thinking and filtering everything that they do in their offices through this new lens before they've even got to our applied workshop. Right. They're two times as likely to have made a change before they even got to us. Right. Um, and And so I don't think that's going to happen from giving them a couple things to read. Um, I don't think that's going to happen from giving them some YouTube videos. Right. The other experience we had is um, the second time we did this. I'm on a plane about to land. I think I'm in. I think of the the meeting is taking place in Vegas, and I'm stopped twice between the airport and the hotel convention center by people who said, "Dr. McGowan, did you are you the one who did the videos online?" So before my faculty and I have even gotten in the room. The learners through the video series that we've built now have recognition and familiarity with the with the thought leaders. Mm-hmm. Like people are stopping me in the airport saying, I, "I just watched your video series." So so now not only are we building homogeneity across the learners, but we're building familiarity and community across the the faculty members. And now and now we start our live applied workshop.
1: That's great. Now I. <sighs> listening to this um I, I i love the the data i love the impact um it, it does though obviously sound like you know a, a fair amount of work to do right um and, and i don't know this may be too much to ask you know out of a, out of a short podcast but if you had to you know trim it down, take a simple toe-in-the-water approach, because I imagine a lot of folks are, you know, they're going to have to make the case um, for this. They're going to have to, you know, show some small amount of impact um, from having done this kind of thing initially to then be able to potentially take it to a different level. Um, I mean, if if you know, for example, that you've got a group of people coming to a a particular session, whether it's a conference or or whatever, um, you want to do just at least some simple level of, of flipping beforehand. I mean, you know, can you can you can you find a video uh, you know that fits your field or maybe make a, a relatively simple video you know put a, a an assessment on the front end of it an assessment on the back end of it um, uh, so that you can just see that you know that the, the, the vi- you have some idea of what the video has done for people and then have them come to the session and 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 I guess you know make sure that you're communicating enough ahead of time to to make sure that people do actually participate in the video uh, is it's something. Is something that simple, do you think, within the reach of uh, of any organization to at least try out?
2: I, I do think so. I, I think you, you hit on a couple key points. Number one is recognize the resources that you have available to you and understand that there is a basement to what a true flipped experience is. So you mm-hmm. want to give them content and you want to make sure that you can measure something about them. And, and that is front piece is um it doesn't have to be that expensive but it, it it ends up taking more planning and thought so the first time we did it i asked each of the faculty members to sit in front of their webcams for seven or ten minutes and describe some theory or some uh, approach that they've used and then i would just edit the webcam videos down the second couple times we did it. Um, second few times we did it, we were just – we found that our faculty really struggled with webcam, videos, editing them. They just – they didn't feel comfortable. Um, and so we went with slides and audio. Mm. And um, I, I, any of that is worth a shot as long as you're collecting some information from the learners and as long as you are commu- over-communicating to that audience – right? that, um, that everyone's doing it, that you can, you can learn together. The other, Jeff, the other key piece of this is when we got to the workshop, the first, let's see, the first time we did it, it was a four hour workshop. The second few times we did it, it was a full eight hour workshop. When we did the workshop, we would, we would dedicate the first half an hour to 45 minutes of the workshop to, A review, not of the content, but of what the community, all the learners, Jeff, you and the the 149 other people in the room, Mm -hmm. what have you accomplished in the past four weeks? So let's look at the poll questions that we asked and let's look at the assessment questions and let's look at the resources that you viewed. And and so we use the first half an hour to 45 minutes of the workshop to galvanize that community this is what you did, Jeff. Salisa did this, and you did this, and Brian did this. So so not only are we gaming mm-hmm. um, through the outreach and the communication prior to the live meeting, but they know when they're in that room that they now get to see what everybody else has done. And so we're building a community. And, right. and for the 5 to 10% of the folks that are in the room that didn't participate, that's got to be a slightly uncomfortable experience. Um, but but maybe deserved.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. I mean, so that that's kind of the, uh, I mean, really the goal there is to, to get that level of engagement a, around learning and to, you know, kind of turbocharge the learning experience. So, I mean, I think in general you've got, uh, I'm kind of summarizing what we've talked about here. I mean, you got to put some, some pre-content out there that actually has some, some honest-to-guy true value to it. You need to do some form of measurement around that content uh, to make sure that it's actually doing something um, for the folks uh, that are uh, using it, you need to communicate, you know, very persistently and persuasively around it uh, to ensure that they're going to um, uh, engage with it. And then, you know, you need to leverage that in, in the actual classroom environment uh, once the, the people get there so that, you know, you're really getting the full value out of having done that. So that might be sort of the, you know, the four, the four components, uh, I guess, of a, uh, of a great uh, flipped uh, ex- experience. Is that, uh, does that sound right from, from your perspective?
2: It sounds great. It really does. It sounds great. The 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 reality is that you can do all that, and I and I've seen this done, where you can do all those pieces, and then your faculty have developed their on their live presentations mm-hmm. three months earlier. Not right, yeah. Right. And so you've done all this. You've looked, you've provided value, you've measured, you've analyzed what the learners have done. And then you go to your live workshop and their presentations that your faculty members have canned three months ago. They there's they're not flexible in Mm -hmm. what they're prepared to do. So I think the final piece of this is your faculty have to be made aware you have to have buy in that ultimately their their presentations their the experiences that they're creating at that live meeting will not be finalized until 48 to 72 hours before that live workshop takes place when you actually know from the learners what is or isn't working or where emphasis should be redirected right. and so what we did is working with our faculty say okay we're gonna We're going to dig into this for 30 minutes at the beginning, but we're going to use the data to tell us what to do for the next 30 to 40 minutes. And maybe what we need is a deeper dive here or uh, a clarification there. And so I'd say while the agenda for the live workshop is pretty much set, exactly how each of those sessions is going to be used that, that that probably won't be finalized until a couple of days before the meeting, and and so that flexibility, yeah. the, the ability to use the data to create that individualized experience, that's probably my last tip. Yeah.
1: Okay. That that's fantastic. Um, and I'm gonna, you know, we probably need to start winding down here. Um, so I'm gonna. Uh, take a little, change gears just a little bit here, but um, uh, mostly just to reference the fact that, uh, you know, we've been talking about flipped learning. That's very, you know, something you're very focused on in your work, but you are much more broadly, I think, focused around uh, just how learning happens, what is effective from a learning standpoint, and I and I wanted to be sure to to note before we sign off that you know you've got you've got your own budding podcast, uh, the science of, of CE, um, where you're really talking about you know uh, the 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 science behind learning. Uh, everything we've been talking about here really is rooted in science. We haven't necessarily referenced all, all of the science uh, around it, but that's something that you know you dig into deeply, and I, I want to make sure that folks are aware of that science of CE podcast, and we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, as well but i 've definitely enjoyed the episodes uh, of that so far i 'm looking forward to, to more of it so so thanks for for that effort. Maybe one last uh, question before we um, actually exit here though we always like to ask this of anybody um, who comes onto the the leading learning podcast and that 's you know um, your own lifelong uh, learning habits, what do you do to, to, to make sure that you're going to keep learning? Um, you know, or maybe, you know, to re- referencing back to we've been talking about flipping, you know, if, if somebody hasn't architected a flipped experience for you as you're going into a learning experience, how do you make sure that, you know, you're going to, you yourself are going to prepare uh, well enough to, to get as much as possible out of uh, any learning experience that you're engaged in?
2: That's a great, that, that last part is a great question, right? Do, do I take the ownership as a learner yeah. to, to uh, get up to speed as much as possible? Um, I just wonder if there's a payoff at any point. If, if I were to spend all this time trying to understand everything that I'm preparing to, to learn on site, and I'm the only one in the room, mm. and I'm ready to dig into applied stuff, but the faculty members are teaching 101, that would, I imagine, frustrate me. I, I, I'm a big um, learning filter Guy uh, for the last seven or eight years, so I've set up a number of Google's uh, search alerts, save searches. I've got uh, maybe a half dozen PubMed save searches and um, a variety of other tools, Twitter streams and hashtags. and And I I probably dedicate about an hour hour ninety minutes a week just to to open my eyes to what my various nets have caught for me, whether it's lifelong learning on Google or whether it's the science of behavior change through some PubMed social psychology journals. Um, I try to spend about 90 minutes a week, and usually it's in smaller 20-minute, 30-minute doses, just bringing in, um, but I don't have to go looking. There's very rare, uh, m- once or twice a week maybe, do I actually have to search for something because I years ago built these nets up for me and then you know sitting in a sitting waiting for a meeting to start or something I can flip on the phone or open up my tablet and uh, and look into any of the nets and and see what's for dinner
1: that's great I I do uh, almost exactly the same thing myself and I I find it's one of the most one of the most valuable things I've ever done is is set up those kinds of filters to 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 be to be feeding the uh, uh, the the learning beast on a on a day-to-day basis well, Brian, you know, thanks so much. I know I kind of caught you on the, the, the fly for this uh, podcast uh, today, but I um, was really excited about what you're doing with flipped learning. Again, Brian is going to be talking about flipped learning in one of our content pods at the upcoming learning technology design uh, event. Um, so, you know, if you're listening and have been fascinated uh, by what Brian is saying, that'd be a great place to connect with him in person. Brian, how else can people find out about uh, you and, and connect with you?
2: Sure. Uh, certainly through LinkedIn, Brian S. McGallen, and through Twitter, Brian S. McGowan. Um And uh, I'm more than happy to grow my personal network and learn from your network as well, Jeff. Thank you for for the invitation, and I look forward to seeing you in Arlington. Great. Thanks so much.
0: So that wraps up our interview with Dr. Brian McGowan. Uh, Just a quick reminder again that we do have learning technology design coming up May 18th and 19th in Arlington, Virginia. I do encourage you to check out um, the program uh, available at ltd.leadinglearning.com and hope to see you there. To get show
1: notes for this episode, which is going to include some great links to uh, content we referenced during the interview, go to leadinglearning.com forward slash episode 29. And of course, while you're there, you'll see various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you have not subscribed yet and you're getting value out of the Leading Learning podcast, we'd be truly grateful if you would do that on iTunes or a, a podcatcher of your choice.
0: You would also make us exceedingly happy if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. And to do that, you can go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really do appreciate this and it makes it a lot easier for other people to find this podcast. And finally, word of
1: mouth is a beautiful thing, and we would love for you to create some beauty by talking to others about the Leading Learning Podcast, whether that's in the hallway, by the water cooler, or on a social media channel of your choice. In fact, if you would like to tweet about the Leading Learning Podcast, all you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com forward slash share and a tweet will be automatic automatically generated for you that you can send out to uh, your vast social network or if you prefer uh, network besides twitter just pick the one of your choice and send out the good word about leading learning
0: so thanks again and we'll see you next time on the leading learning podcast